What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. King's Island is now open on weekends. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's absent my machetes? I'm Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards, the podcast where we talk about the worst people in all of history. And today uh, is is a very sad day because we've been kicked out of our regular recording studio um, by by an unnamed person, and we forgot to get the machete out. Uh, and I am very sad, as is Sophie, as mm-hmm. is my guest today, Mr. Billy Wayne Davis. Hello. I'm. It's not. It's in the building, so we're it's okay. In the building. It's not like it's we left it at home, which would be like that's a bummer. That would be tragic. That's why that's the dedicated podcast machete. That makes sense. And then uh, you guys, Robert gave me the best gift. It's just it's a tactical. Can I say the brand? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Gerber. I was mm-hmm. very excited about that, which is a Portland, USA made mm-hmm. knife. Ah, it just now describe the thing. I've already forgot exactly. Yeah, it's a, it's designed as a survival knife. So the hilt is made out of a glass composite. Which uh, the purpose of that is so that if you're in a in a vehicle that crashes or in an airplane that's crashed, it was originally designed for pilots. You can cut your way out of the plane without electrocuting yourself if you hit a live wire. Um, and there's also <laughs> a big glass breaking thing on the hilt. It's a it's a solid knife. It just and it feels good in the hand Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. a lot of these knives like this are they're not yeah there's a lot of different kinds of knives and that's a metal stabbing knife which is a special kind of knife yeah it's a knife that's meant for going into what is essentially other knives it's got that thing that a good knife has where you're like i kind of want someone to come at me now and what i what i like about that is because I, I don't want to give someone a nice knife and not give them a reason to use it so once we get the machete out of the room i have something else that i found uh, while I was up in I found a VHS copy of 
Basic Instinct uh, by Paul Verhoeven, the original director's cut. Oh, wow. With a, a fake signature by Paul Verhoeven inside the cover of the, the VHS tape. I found it uh, by a trash pile. He sincerely wrote that. He sincerely wrote that. That's he really did. And uh, just so people know, uh, this this VHS copy is the widescreen letterbox edition. That's critical. Uh, it includes the theatrical trailer, Too Hot to be Shown in Movie Houses. And I figured what we do once it's we get like to the It's like a Criterion Collection before really the Criterion Collection. It really is. See it, see it the way it was meant to be. Mm. On a VHS on tape VHS. that's been hanging out near a dump. On, on a TV that's got a in, a in a box. Still smells a little bit like trash. Uh, but it's in incredible shape. Really incredible shape considering what it is. And did you fly from with it? Yes, I that's flew awesome. I, I flew with it uh, because I knew that this was the only acceptable thing for us to use in a game of tennis. Now, Billy, I don't know how to play tennis, but I know it involves two people with stick-shaped things yeah. batting an object in between them. So I figured I'd use the machete, you'd use the knife, and we'd have us a game of tennis over this recording studio. Yeah, this is like a white can trash I be the version ump? of it. Yes, Sophie can be the ump. Nope, that's not what it's called. But yep. What is it called in tennis? I think an umpire. Ref. In tennis? I don't know. Official? I don't think ump is it. Sophie's going to look up what it's actually called as if tennis is played ref. with a copy of Basic Instinct and two knives. There's like a judge involved, right? Line judge? I don't know. I'm okay with all this. I don't know about tennis. I think tennis, it's umpire. Shit. But it'll be fun to hit. Now, but there's going to be a lot of plastic shards, and we don't have eye protection. Or maybe it's an official. I have I've seen sunglasses. it in three different... They serve as the... Oh, no. Oh, no. I would like the title of chief umpire, which is apparently a thing. Okay, so Sophie's going to be the chief umpire. Cool. Uh, Billy Wayne will be taking on the role of, is Roger Federer a tennis guy? Yep. Yes. Nailed you did it. Good. You did good. And I will be taking on the role of Serena Agassi. Williams. Serena Williams. Ooh, that's. Nailed it. That's a big shoes to fill. Those are the only tennis players I can name. <laughs> and I was not sure about Federer. I yeah. thought there was a 50% chance he was I always golf. go with Agassi, but he hasn't played. Like uh, Andre Agassi, you're right. That's a he name. Fun. But, yeah. He's bald. He kind of went with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the really angry dude's name? John McEnroe. John McEnroe. He's pretty funny, too. Yeah. Don't know any of these people. What I do know is that we're going to have a lot of fun once we get our machete. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm a, I mean, I'm just going to hold the knife the whole show. Now, Billy Wayne, mm-hmm. because you're here as the guest, uh, I think everyone can know what that means. And it means that we're going to talk about a fake doctor. Fuck yeah, or we are. Or in this case, a lot of fake doctors. A lot of them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see, today, Billy Wayne, we're not just talking about a fake doctor. Our subject this week might well be the king of all fake doctors. Do you know the name Samuel Hahnemann? No. I'm excited about that. Well... He is the man who invented homeopathy. Okay. Yeah, that's where we're going. He's largely responsible for the birth of what's called alternative medicine. Um, And surprisingly, I'm not sure he qualifies as a bastard. So we're going to get into him part one. And then part two, we will definitely be talking about some bastards. Would he be, can I predict, Mm -hmm. he might be a bastard because he opened a certain door for other bastards. Yeah. Yeah. I think he meant well. That's like... Yeah. It's like manslaughter of bastards, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It's yeah. like, you fucked up, but not on purpose, but it was bad. It's like those in the South, large chunks of the South, in Texas, and I think also in Louisiana. I know they have a, they have a drive through liquor stores. Yes. And you're not supposed to drink and drive, but a lot of people do because yeah. it's a drive through liquor because store. Because you, you didn't get yeah. out of your truck. Yeah, you mm-hmm. don't even have to get out of your truck. 
He's like the drive-through liquor store of medicine, where you can say maybe he just wanted to make the process of buying liquor more convenient. But as a result, a lot of people rammed pedestrians. They had to fix a lot of fences <laughs> yeah. because of that man. <laughs> there were a lot of problems caused. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. I got you. Yeah, he's the no. You put a piece of tape over the straw. Yeah, exactly. Then and, it's and not it's, an it's, open container. We fixed it. The straw. We fixed it. <laughs> People may not know that, but you can buy margaritas in your car if there's tape over the straw. And, and daiquiris are the mm-hmm. the big one in Louisiana. Oh God! Just a thirty-two mm-hmm. ounce styrofoam cup full of pure <laughs> like grain eight alcohol. Shots of liquor. In pure it. grain alcohol. And a slushy, yeah. and then they hand it to you with tape over it, and they're like, "Don't, don't move that tape. <laughs> don't do what you're gonna do." Yeah, <laughs> wink. Uh, it has always been my dream. I don't think I'll ever move back to the South because I hate the weather. But if I did, I would love to operate a combination gun store, drive-through liquor store. And oh, I mean, yeah. Why not just push it? Go all the way. And you're like, well. If you buy two daiquiris, you get a gun. <laughs> and if you buy two guns, you get four daiquiris. You get four daiquiris. <laughs> one for your kid. Because you get two, and then your wife gets one, you get one left up. And ideally, we also open a pharmacy, so it's like a pill mill, drive through liquor shop, gun store. I mean, what, <laughs> that's <laughs> one of, like, as my grandpa was on his way out, he said, we were talking one time, and he's like, if I had to do it over again pharmacy <laughs> that's what you own a pharmacy and i was like that is a good point mm-hmm. grandpa that's a that's solid grandfather yeah, that is i was like that's a good point i'm too late for me but <laughs> <laughs> one day billy wayne one yeah. day you'll start that Open pharmacy pharmacy so i guess we should get into the story now christian friedrich samuel hanman was born on april 10th 1755 in the city of meissen which i'm probably mispronouncing one of his modern day followers says that it was quote so close to midnight that there is debate as to the date his church apparently registered his birthday as the 11th but he celebrated it on the 10th this website uh which is like a homeopathic fan site for samuel hanman notes as the story of his life unfolds This is a pertinent fact to bear in mind because, arguably, it sets a pattern that continued throughout. I actually have no idea what they mean by this. That he's inconsistent? That, that, no, I think they're positive. I think they're saying that, like, ah, uh, the authorities said that, like, this is his birthday, but he, like, said it was a different day. He's like, I know better. I know be- Exactly. I think that's what they're getting at, but it's very silly. And they're like, no, no, you were born here. He's like, no, I was. I remember. And they're like, okay. He really <laughs> fucked that up. I would celebrate both days. Oh, yeah, I mean... I don't think people got presents back then. I think they just got cholera. Mm. It's your birthday. Shit yourself to death. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Classic German 1700s birthday. Samuel was a weak and sickly child. He was christened on the 13th uh, of the month, like two days after his birth, out of the expectation that he would die soon. And so he needed a name before he went to heaven or hell. I think babies went to hell at that point. But alas, Samuel grew stronger. And gradually it became clear that he would, in fact, survive being a baby. Samuel was one year old when the Seven-Year War broke out, a slap fight between Prussia and Austria for Silesia, all of which is basically considered Germany to Americans today. Uh, This war had a disastrous impact on the porcelain and cloth trades, and since Samuel's dad made his living as a porcelain painter, the family finances took a real hit. 
Uh, He was educated at home, which was not particularly uncommon or any kind of statement at the time. That homeopathic fangirl website I found on this notes that Samuel's father, Christian, quote, sometimes locked his son up with a problem when he went to work, expecting him to have solved it or to have some insight into it by the time (laughs) he got back. Now, ah, that's a that's a frugal babysitter right there. <laughs> Just give your kid a problem and lock him in a room. What's the answer? Hell, I don't know. Yeah, her depiction of it makes it seem like ah, this is like how you raise a genius baby. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, I found another depiction of this parenting practice in a 1900 biography of Samuel that does make it sound a lot shadier. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, it's like a hillbilly would be like, "Well, you got a TV, don't you? We're going to go watch that and we're going to go." Yeah, turn it up. Yeah. You, you hear noises, turn it up. <laughs> put them in front of the shiny box. It'll be good. Handman's father, before going to the factory, used frequently to lock his son in a room, close the shutters, and give him a difficult sentence to ponder over, of which he had to give an account on his father's return. This contributed to making the son an original thinker. (laughs) I think that's what Trump does every morning with Twitter, is he just gives us a difficult sentence, and all day we're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? (laughs) Why did he capitalize the letters he capitalized? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he's just trying to raise us like Samuel Hahnemann's father. (laughs) Now, once he was older and the family fortunes had recovered somewhat, Samuel was allowed to go to the local elementary school. His teacher, Johann Muller, recognized him as a uniquely brilliant pupil. Alas for Samuel, his father pulled him out of school at age 15, reasoning that he'd spent more than enough time learning and it was well past time for him to get a full-time gig. In fairness to Christian, you were legally an adult at 14 in that part of the world at that time, so Samuel really got a whole extra year of childhood. Yeah. Kind of luxury childhood there, so... That's good for him. Yeah. Christian set his son up with a job at a grocery store in Leipzig. Samuel did the job for a while, but he grew tired of it quickly and was convinced that the world had something greater in store for him. So he ran away from home. Sort of. He actually just ran away from his dad and his job and had his mom hide him while he worked up the courage to confront his father. Uh, about the fact that he wanted to go back to school. Where did she hide him? I don't know. It's not really specific about that. I'm guessing a closet. Just like in the house still. I think so. Or maybe, yeah, they they had some money, so she might have like rented him a room or something. Yeah, or like a storage place. It just says that his mom hid him. You live in a storage place. Yeah. What an inner, like told the dad that he ran away? Yeah, I think it was an issue of the way it's, I've, I've read it is that like she hit him because she wasn't going to go to bat for her kid against her father because you don't do that. I understand that. 1700s yes. Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, basically Germany. Essentially Germany. And um, but at the same time he didn't like he had to work up the courage to like tell his dad I don't want to work at a grocery store. I want to finish school and Got, yeah. uh, be an educated man. I understand now. Yeah. It was more of like neither of us want to get whacked by yeah. dad yet because yeah. So, yeah okay yeah, yeah gotcha yeah so uh, eventually samuel did confront his father and he was apparently uh successful in convincing him that he should be allowed to go to grammar school <laughs> she just sent him to a boxing ring she's like just learn to take a punch and then you can tell him <laughs> you're gonna have to let your dad hit you he's gonna, gonna hit you he's gonna okay. hit you a lot so just get used to just learn how to take that you talk to dad he's gonna throw a couple of punches <laughs> Just, just, just to keep him at himself. He yeah. enjoys it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, you get back. He gets back from work. He's been punched all day. He's gonna throw a couple of punches. Watch his left. It's better than you think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Uh, so yeah, Samuel went to grammar school. He studied science and languages, and he wrote a dissertation on the structure of the human hand. He was quite successful during this period, and he earned himself admission into Leipzig University to pursue a medical degree. But his course of studies was exhausting, and he would later write that it convinced him young people should not be allowed to go to school. Quote from Samuel, Mental exertion and study are unnatural occupations for young people whose bodily development is not yet complete, especially for those who are endowed with sensitive feelings. This nearly cost me my life during the period from 15 to 20 years old. I can't. can't Sounds disagree. like a pretty progressive thinking man. <laughs> Bored with that? I mean, that's just, yeah, he's like, yeah, 15 to 20. Just throw them in the woods. We should, yeah, have a big field for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I kind of like that idea. I've always been a big advocate of, like, once kids get old enough to talk back, just driving them into a field and leaving them there. I think they get feral, and then we'd have they were they're smarter than we think, though. Yeah, you're right. It would be like a hog problem, and they just be breeding. Flies would happen way quicker than we want to think it would. (sighs) Yeah, yeah. No, it's like the wild boars. Yeah, that's what would happen. They'd grow tusk. You'd have to kill them with drones. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I guess there's no perfect solution to teenagers. No, no. You just watch them Mm -hmm. and hope they don't team up. Yeah, hope they don't team up. the good thing is they'll throw each other under the bus because they're so horny. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's they're, their saving. They'll try to fuck the bus. It is weird to think like, oh, thank God they're horny. Thank, thank God they're too horny to be smart. Yes. Woo. We'd have a problem with all that energy they got. Yeah, we'd have to be like, well, we do wars. Yeah. that's We just do a war every couple of years. Because it is. That was a nicer era in warfare back when like most of them were just like, we got to do something with all these fucking teenagers. Yeah. Uh, give them give guns. <laughs> put the dumbest ones in the front. <laughs> and then let them walk towards each other. <laughs> let them walk towards each other until they're tired. <laughs> until we got the best ones. Yeah. The smart ones duck. <laughs> <laughs> At age 19 in 1774, a penniless Samuel Hahnemann left Meissen to go to Leipzig. Uh, He worked as a translator to make ends meet. Depending on which source you read, he was either incredibly good at this, a brilliant linguist in great demand, or he was completely mediocre and he barely succeeded in avoiding abject poverty. I found like five different variations of how this period of his life went. Uh, I don't know which is accurate, maybe none of them. Uh, One thing they all seem to agree on is that during his years studying theoretical medicine, uh, which was the degree program track he was on, he became disillusioned with the medical establishment. Which is uh, understandable of the medical establishment in 1774. Yeah. yeah. A lot of leeches. A lot of leeches. A lot of poison. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The pro- tried cocaine. That's a real medicine, Billy. I, I have some friends that will agree with you, too. <laughs> Good for what ails you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, the pro-homeopathy biography of Hahnemann, I found, is written by uh, someone called Sheila. That's the only name uh, she's given on the site. And she's a British homeopath whose website links back to a website about how autism isn't real. So Uh, just so we're aware of this particular source. Um, Yeah. What is it? Autism? If it's not real. I think it's a bacterial infection. I don't know. There's a bunch of crazy theories about that. It's like the bleach people. Gotcha. I do feel like she's one of the bleach people. That makes sense. Yeah. No, that's the thing where I know better. Yeah. Yeah. Quote from Sheila, the homeopath. He paid for his studies by teaching German and French and by translating Greek and English into German for better off students. Help came from an anonymous benefactor in Meissen who paid for some of the lectures. It is in Leipzig that the seeds of Samuel's discontent with the medical profession of the time were sown because he was not satisfied with some of the lectures and attended them only selectively. He was also unhappy with the lack of practical facilities. So that's the positive homeopathy version of this okay. is that 
he just he, he he realizes that medicine at the time is flawed and he he doesn't like attending all of his lectures which you could also write as just like him being a bad student that's what i was gonna say sometimes it's hard to listen and stuff like that it is and then to be justified with like i just this you guys are wrong i'm gonna fix medicine i mean i will say even a stop clock is right every couple of centuries and in this case ignoring mainstream medical lectures was a was a good idea yes. yeah but at the same time like don't you have to learn what's wrong but if you're learning what's wrong and they're telling you it's right that might not be good either i don't know that's a weird this is a weird story yeah it's, it's... gonna get confusing yeah morally the second part is just gonna be bastards all the way down so but good. but first we gotta get good. this muddy waters <laughs> And not the good kind of muddy waters. He just feels like I understand that feeling. I mean, in college, because there was a part of me that like a lot of this feels like a scam. Yeah. Like, why do I have to take bowling? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was like, and then the business side of my major, I mostly was communications, but the business side was like just prepping everyone to work at a corporation, and I was already like, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And the, all my teachers are like, what do you mean? That's where the money, that's how you make money. That's like, what, that, like, what's what no, you're here for. I'm going to make my money. Yeah. Like, I don't want people giving me, I don't want to have to depend on that. And you're making robots. Yeah. Yeah, it just made me, so I understand what he's thinking. We're like, oh, yeah. Some of this is, like, if I was going to be a, like a scientist, this makes sense, or a lawyer. But I learned more about business at the UPS store than any of you fuckers have taught me. Mm -hmm. I learned more about business hanging out with my friends who sold weed than I ever learned yes. uh, in, in college. Yes. And more practical stuff about business, like how to replace the uh, airbag in your car's steering wheel with a bag of marijuana. Yeah. That's hmm. a good place. Good place to hide it. That's a free tip for everybody out there still living in one of the states where it's illegal. Mm -hmm. Sophie, are we allowed to give people tips on drug smuggling? Sophie is making a gesture that I cannot interpret. Do it. I'm just going to plug my ears. <laughs> oh, she's just going to plug oh, her okay. ears. Okay. Okay. For you. Also, hide drugs up your butt. Both work. Now, back to uh, back to Samuel Hahnman. Um, so, I just read kind of the the, the pro Samuel Hahnman uh, as the uh, the founder of of the most valuable medical. Uh, revelation in in the history of the world. Mm -hmm. That that's that angle on it. I found a very different account of this period in his life in an article written for the American Council on Science and Health, <laughs> a five hundred one c three established in nineteen seventy eight to promote evidence based science and medicine. Here's what they say. Although he tried to earn money as a translator, making ends meet was very difficult for him. On the brink of starvation, he was introduced to an opulent Transylvanian baron, Samuel Brukenthal, the head of the Madgeburg Freemasons Lodge. Hahnemann was initiated into the lodge in Hermannstadt, Transylvania, in October 1777. He quickly came to esteem the many itinerant teachers of mysteries who were indoctrinating the lodges in such matters as alchemy and spiritism. In Samuel Hahnemann, his life and work, Richard Hale hinted at the depth of Hahnemann's involvement in the lodge. He advanced beyond on vitalism and the naturalism of Schelling and Hegel to spiritism and for a while lost his way in occultism. In Life and Letters of Samuel Hahnemann, Thomas Bradford gave a much less guarded account of the time Hahnemann spent in the service of Herr Brukenthal. It was in these quiet, scholarly days that Hahnemann acquired that extensive and diverse knowledge of ancient literature and of occult sciences, which he afterwards proved himself to be a master. So he learned magic. Yeah. He learns magic. The homeopaths like to be like, no, he just spent so much time in lectures that he realized what was wrong with the medical establishment. And then 
the other version of that is, nah, he went to work for a wizard and learned magic. Yeah, he went <laughs> to like a secret society for yeah. powerful dudes who also believe in some bullshit mm-hmm. because they were they were blessed with certain opportunities that other people weren't. Instead of realizing that, they thought they were fucking special and mm-hmm. knew magic. And they like to dress up in costumes. Rituals are fun because they didn't have TV or they is. a lot of books. Rituals are fun, like the ritual of batting this copy of Basic Instinct. It's, around that's why you were supposed to find it. Mm-hmm. Magic. Magic. It is. You know what else is magic, Billy Wayne? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Capitalism. Capitalism is like magic. It is magic. Like magic, uh, it transmutes a podcast that is free into money for me. That's good. It's good. See? Nobody can explain that. Nobody knows how that works. Product service. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. King's Island is now open on weekends. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We're back and we're furious. 
I want the machete. We want the machete. He's Sophie's even on board. suspense to this episode. It just feels like our episode is like, it could be one thing and it's going to be another thing if we don't have the machete. If we don't we have the machete. machete. The machete. This is like a well, you, you brought that VHS from... I brought that from from the city's name that we will bleep out. Oh, you don't want people to know where you live? Well, it's just a little. We we be coy about it a little bit. Yeah, let's let's not tell uh, people where he lives. It's yeah, it's a solid point. You brought that. Let's take that back. Across the country. You crossed the country. I crossed with the that. nation with this old VHS copy of Basic Instinct. It's in great shape. It's in great shape. It does have an odor, but that's fine. <laughs> and it has a fake that Paul Verhoeven signature. That might that odor. Oh, may that's be funny. Me. Yeah, there's no way to know. Um... We're still like sulfur. We're bit. still waiting for the podcast. Yeah, I'm gonna go get it. Machete. Are you gonna try? Oh, to Sophie's gonna in? break in to the room. Do you need two knives? Fuck yeah! You got it. We got it. We're back. We're back, and we have just uh, we have liberated the podcasting God machete. God damn it! We are a fucking duo. We are a fucking duo. We did it. We guys. liberated the podcasting machete. That was great. From uh, an unnamed other podcast that was recording, which is very bad uh, to do normally. But when you it need was a machete, an emergency, we, we needed need the machete. Now yes. we have both the machete and the Billy Wayne Davis dagger. On the table. This thing is fucking dope. We're I mean, ready to thank play. Thank you again. By the way, that that sheath has a sharpener in it, right in the middle there. I mean, so you take that, you take that strap out. You're in the field, going I off the land. Use my little Gerber. No, I used my little Spyderco last night when we were eating steak. Mm-hmm. But this would have immediately was like, oh, sure, there's last night. You could kill a wild cow with that. There were wild cows all over the Kern. That could have been you, Robert. I'm yeah. so proud of us. I'm very proud of us. That was a beautiful like. Teamwork. Tag team mother son mission that just went really well. Re- really well, we we liberated our machete for the, from the fearsome name bleeped, and uh, yeah, it was great. Very fearsome. Very fearsome name bleeped. Very fearsome name bleeped. Anyway, machete. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to uh, this podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's a, 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 a good mission, you guys. Yeah, so. The evidence I found makes it seem that, like, Samuel Hahnemann's, the kind of ideas that would eventually turn into homeopathy were uh, more rooted in the occult stuff he learned when he was with the Masons than the stuff he learned in actual medical school. And the ironic thing is that this wasn't really a bad thing. That's what I was going to say. Like, there is that part like he's like he's learned the placebo effect of medicine and and people's mental capacities of stuff yeah yeah in the 1700s medicine was mostly dangerous nonsense (laughs) yeah yeah. um as this 1970 uh write-up on homeopathy from the university of washington makes pretty clear it's people dumber than granny from the beverly hillbillies were pretending to be doctors granny knew some shit granny could go into the woods and grab a couple of herbs that did some things that's the point i'm making yeah exactly people dumber than granny people dumber than granny yeah yeah Granny was a drunk. Granny was a, was a drunk. In the first decades of the 19th century, medical therapy consisted mainly in bleeding, purging, vomiting, the application of leeches, and the ingestion of an array of powerful chemical drugs. Their combined effect was often greatly debilitating and toxic to patients. The prevailing therapeutical confusion alternated inaction, doing little while waiting for the so-called healing powers of nature to take over with aggressiveness, plunging patients into acute anemias, and loss of bodily fluids through the use of so-called depleting methods inherited from earlier times. So that's medicine inherited inherited yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
After four semesters in medical school in 1777, Samuel moved to Vienna and spent three months working with a Dr. Quarren, the personal doctor for Empress Maria Theresia. The good doctor did not charge Samuel for his tutelage, but Sam was still chronically short of cash. Thankfully, Dr. Quarren introduced him to the governor of Transylvania, who offered him a gig as his family physician. At least, that's what Sheila the homeopath says. The University of Washington, by contrast, claims his main job was working as the governor's library uh, assistant and organizing his coin collection. So again, the homeopaths like, ah, he, he worked as the, the personal doctor to the governor of Transylvania. And the more historical sources I found say that like, no, he organized a coin collection. <laughs> so she is taking his whole... She very, takes him very seriously. And she's a homeopath. Well, she's doing what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Which is like, uh, I know what you said, but I know a little better. I know a little bit better. Yeah. That's, that's kind of She the, gets the gig, I guess. She, she gets the gig. <laughs> she has some interesting takes on autism, too, for you, Billy. I don't want to know those. <laughs> <laughs> In 1779, Samuel grew tired of organizing coins. He moved to Erlangen and attended that university where he finished his medical degree. After his graduation. Hey! Hey! Step ahead of most. Step ahead of He did it. Most of the doctors that we talk about. He, he got a medical degree. He got the degree. So we're, okay. We can see where this is getting murky. Time for him to move to Mexico. We'll start jerking off yeah. in the vials. After his graduation, Samuel spent the years between 1779 and 1785 as a nomadic wanderer, moving more than a dozen times to different towns and cities in Germany. He grew interested in chemistry in Dessau, largely because he started fucking the town apothecary's daughter. Uh, According to the University of Washington... her name was chemistry. (laughs) Her name was chemistry. According to the University of Washington, quote, his gradual alienation from contemporary medicine and medical practices emerged during his stay in the town of Gnern. He was severely critical of the deplorable conditions in a nearby asylum for the insane. In 1785, he became a health officer for the city of Dresden, where for long years he aroused only hostility and contempt from physicians and apothecaries. <laughs> he's got away. <laughs> yeah. And in, like again, and he's kind of in the right. Like, he sees how fucked up medicine is and he gets pissed at it. That does seem to be true. That, like, that- at this point, as a working doctor, He's like, things are wrong. Yeah, this is, you're not, they keep coming back. Yeah. That's not what we want. Yeah, that's not what we want. The lucky ones come back. The unlucky ones just die in the hole that we that's, put them in. That is true, yeah. In the sick person hole. He's like, well, I'm also the undertaker, so I'm doing all right. Yeah, there were a lot of those. Dr. Undertaker? Dr. Undertaker and Dr. Barber were probably the two most common doctor mashup jobs. That's a, mm. My goal is to be a doctor bartender. I think that's a good goal. Mm -hmm. It's a Mm -hmm. golf pro doctor. Mm -hmm. Golf pro doctor. (laughs) That'd be a good one. The reason for Hahnemann's ostracization from the medical mainstream community had a lot to do with his frustration over how patients were treated by doctors. The physicians of his day focused entirely on understanding the nature of illness. Patients were treated more as collections of symptoms than human beings. And Samuel became an advocate of a more whole person focused approach uh, to treating patients, which he believed would yield better results. And he's not wrong. He's not wrong. It's it's interesting because he's not he's he's not wrong in that that makes for a better experience for the patient and that can have a positive impact on treating them. Um, there's also an argument to be made that like all these years of doctors just focusing on the symptoms and like basically just like trying to figure out why people were dying and then cutting them up after they died was necessary to figure out how to perform medicine more effectively. Like yeah. you, you kind of needed those kind of crappy centuries. Um, so it's 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 yes, it's, complicated. it's like well yeah. the, all we know about pregnant ladies mm-hmm. and pregnancy the Nazis did all the 
experimentations. Like when we went in and we're like, hey, we found those files and we're like, hey, you shouldn't have done this, but we're going to take them right here. That's that's a bit of a myth. There were a couple of things that were found out by it, but yeah, they... um, most of the Nazis, like there, there was some useful stuff that was discovered in like the, the horrible experiments that were carried out in concentration camps, but the vast majority of it was nonsense, was just like injecting dyes into twins' eyeballs oh, okay. to see if it changed the other twins' eye. Like for every like legitimate thing they discovered, um, there were like 10 things that were like, yeah, we didn't need to even test this. We all could have told you, you you're not going to change one twin by shooting poison into the other. Yeah, but now we know. But now we know. <laughs> it is, it is, you it guys is a mixed are bag. bad guys. Yeah, 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 we are. Yeah, yeah. But we found a group of us. <laughs> We'll do a whole. We'll we'll have you here for the episode of Nazi Doctors. Please. That's going to be a fun episode of this Please. show. Good God, Sophie's going to love it. Why? Because we get to make a lot of Sophie's Choice jokes. Yep. Oh, yep. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So, in 1790, while working in Dresden, Hanman got up to some work translating an old manuscript about chinchona bark. Uh, also called China Bark, which was known to be an effective treatment for malarial fever. Unlike Mm. most treatments at the time, Chinchona Bark absolutely did work. Uh, The leading theory as to why was that the substance was an astringent. Uh, But this reasoning didn't smell right to Hahnemann. He had tried out substances far more astringent than Chinchona Bark on fever patients and seen it not have any effect. Uh, The actual reason that Chinchona Bark worked on fevers is that it had quinine in it, which is like an actual medicine. It's one of the things that get people from malaria. So, like, obviously, Chinchona Bark helps with malarial fever. Yeah. Um, So they knew that this thing worked, and they were right that it helped with fevers. They just didn't know why. Well, the thing in it did, yeah. Yeah, and and Hahnemann was right in that when he was like, no, 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 y'all's reasoning for why this works is wrong. Um, And then he tried to figure out uh, the real reason why it worked and became even more wrong. Um, Okay. But in a weird way. To try and figure out why chinchona bark helped with malarial fever, Hahnemann started experimenting on himself. He had a sizable dose of the bark and noted its effect on him. As he wrote in his notes, quote, My feet, finger ends, etc. at first became cold. I grew languid and drowsy. Then my heart began to palpitate, and my pulse grew hard and small. Intolerable anxiety, trembling, prostration all throughout all my limbs, then pulsation in the head, redness of my cheeks, thirst, and in short, all these symptoms which are ordinarily characteristic of intermittent fever made their appearance, one after the other, yet without the peculiar chilly shivering rigor briefly even those symptoms which are of regular occurrence and especially characteristic as the dullness of mind the kind of rigidity in all the limbs but above all the numb disagreeable sensation which seems to have uh, its seed in the perosteum over every bone in the body all these made their appearance this paroxysm lasted two or three hours each time and recurred if i repeated this dose not otherwise i discontinued it and was in good health so he has like a really bad reaction to this shit, kind of yeah. like a fever. That's his that's his interpretation of it. It's like, oh, this taking this fever treatment feels like a fever to me. Yeah. So Hanman was struck by a revelation as a result of this. If this bark cured fevers, but also gave him a fever when he took it while he was healthy, maybe that meant sicknesses were cured by substances that acted similarly to the illness they were treating. 
I can see the logic. You in can things. see the logic yes. in that. You can see like it's not he's not a dumb person at this stage in medical no. development for being like, oh, maybe this is what's going on. Well, that's the steps yeah. you would take, I guess, yeah. just to figure stuff out. I can that see how not. a smart person would be like, oh, shit, I think I, I think I figured something out. I, and I think I'm saying that because that's what I would do. That's what I, and there's there actually <laughs> is some med, not in his particular conclusion of it, but like vaccines essentially work that way. Yes, you get a little yeah, small. Exactly, so your exactly. body's been in. Yeah. He's he's wrong for the right reasons i guess you could say or like he's there are some things in medicine that work like what hanman realizes here his, yes. his his main problem is that he generalizes way too much um that's humans yeah that's humans exactly that's yes but again you see i i have trouble this guy's an imperfect person and we'll, we'll get to some of his character flaws a little later too um but he, I, he's not a bastard no he's not a he's bastard. not a bastard he's no. doing his best in an era where nobody knows anything about medicine but he yeah and he's one of the few people raising his eyebrow to yeah. everything being like i don't know you I guys i think y'all are wrong this and he's feels, right uh but he's wrong too i don't know the answer yeah yeah but that ain't it but he does eventually get to the point where he feels like he knows the answer so yeah uh hanman based on this uh single experiment uh worked up a bold new theory of medical science which he summarized with the now infamous line like cures like okay that's one of the well that is core a, facts of homeopathy to get your thing going you do need something catchy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. it's like uh in order to beat donald trump uh a doddering ill old man we need another doddering ill old man whose eye fills with blood at random intervals i don't think we need that one nope that's what's gonna happen billy wayne (laughs) fucking hope you're (laughs) so wrong we've all decided (laughs) glad you gave me that knife (laughs) i think that that is no no i hope not but I duh. if you travel at like all, you're like, damn, it's like fuck. like cures like it's like when we when 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 uh, Mitt Romney and uh, a violent Christian extremist ran for president, the only person to beat them uh, was Barack Obama, who was essentially uh, oh not Mitt Romney, Jesus, I fucked this up entirely. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. I was like, what, what are you doing? Right, buddy? I, I I don't know. It's it's like how Barack Obama and John McCain are the same person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See. It doesn't make any sense. Just, this is just this didn't work at all. Vote for a woman. Okay, continue. A woman? That's not like curing like, Sophie. That's that's love curing like. That's not homeopathy. That's cool. Kind of is homeopathy. It is very homeopathy, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, uh, Hanman's basic idea was that medicines treated illness by causing similar symptoms in the patient, and thus, uh, when you had a, when you dose someone with something that made them sick and they were already sick, the two sicknesses would cancel each other out. Now, you may recognize this as the same medical reasoning in that one episode where Mister Burns goes to the doctor and they realize that he has all of the diseases. <laughs> the guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> your, your illnesses are in perfect balance. <laughs> yeah. That's that's literally Hanman's like, r- like revelation as a result of making himself sick on chinchona bark. Um, Was it? Oh. Yeah. You just kill it. It's like, he, his thing is like, you, you fought fire with fire. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that the, so the if you came him, to him and you were on fire, he was like, just give him some more fire. Give him a little bit more fire. That's going to give him. I mean, that is kind of how you deal with wildfires, but not in the same way. But not humans. But not a human fire. I do understand you do fire. fire. Yeah. I understand how that works. It's kind of like the vaccine versus, yeah. 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 No, it is a vaccine. Mm-hmm. For fires. Yes. A little bit of fire will cure this fire. Yep. Well, we control it before it does it itself. Yeah. That's it's this problem with overgeneralizing. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah, because I did try to stop a kitchen fire once by just lighting other parts of the kitchen on fire, and that did not no, work. That the doesn't same work. Way. That no. doesn't work. Or no. putting like um, water on a grease fire. Do you know that? Nope. But if you put grease on a water fire, that if you've got water on fire, <laughs> then you are you are the city of Cleveland. <laughs> yes, yes, you are. You guys caught your river on fire. We did. Every yeah, time did. I make fun of Cleveland for their river being on fire, that like five times that it caught on fire, they point out how clean it is today. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, because all the stuff burned up. Because <laughs> the poison burned out yeah. of the river. Yes. <laughs> you cleaned it. Oh, I'm never going to let Cleveland live that one down. They don't care. They don't care. They don't. They've been drunk the whole time. They're like, <laughs> I love Cleveland. It's yeah. fun. You can mess anything up. They don't notice. <laughs> She got mad. Sophie's is a Cleveland stan. No? I was just thinking about the only thing that they got mad about is when LeBron left. Well, I'd be mad about that, too. Yeah. That's the only thing they have. Yeah. Well, he left. He's ours now. Well, he's no one's. He's That's a Laker now. beautiful. LeBron James belongs to the world. He is a precious gem. He is a precious gem. He is a precious gem. Possibly one of the people least fit for this podcast. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. so nice. Meanwhile, yeah, every move he makes mm-hmm. is great. Yeah, he's 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 a class act. Mm-hmm. He's unlike, like Shaq. Unlike Shaq. No, uh, he's like Shaq. Oh, he's like Shaq. Yeah, I like Shaq. I like Shaq too. Shaq's great. Mm-hmm. Shaq is great. I mean, Shaq's great, but I mean, he's definitely not as nice of a person as LeBron James. You don't know that. I feel like now we're just now we're just splitting very large, tall hairs. Mm-hmm. Do you want to like continue with yes, the podcast? Yes, we should probably continue the podcast. This is just like a thought. You do host a I show. Do, I do host a podcast. Mm-hmm. So uh, the logic of uh, Hahnemann's idea that like cures like was reinforced a few years later when Dr. Edward Jenner invented the first smallpox vaccine. This worked by, you know, essentially introducing a small sample of the disease into a patient to immunize them. Now, today we know that what Jenner did with his vaccine is very different than what Hahnemann proposed. Mm-hmm. But at the time, given the information available, you could be forgiven for taking Jenner's breakthrough as more evidence that Hahnemann was on the right track. And it made Hahnemann insufferable to oh, be around. he definitely was. That happens after this point. Ah, he's like, been telling y'all. I figured it out. Who told you? Clearly this is the same thing. Damn it. Electrified by his study, Samuel Hahnemann began a series of experiments to develop what he believed would be a whole new and much more valid school of medicine. Since the underlying theory behind it all was that like cures like, he called his new system homeopathy. On his first book on the subject, he wrote, To obtain a quick and lasting cure, choose for every attack or illness a substance that which can produce a similar malady to the one it is to cure. Modern-day homeopaths still cite this experiment as one of the greatest developments in the history of mankind. One modern textbook claims, Chinchona bark was to Hahnemann what the falling apple was to Newton and the swinging lamp to Galileo. (sighs) Hahnemann launched next into a series of bold experiments, both on himself and on his children, his wife, and his students. In his first book, Fragmenta de Wiribus, he asserted that he had experienced 122 different symptoms from ingesting Chinchona bark, which suggested uh, it must have a wide-ranging medical application. Likewise, Samuel had listed 174 known symptoms with the consumption of green peppers. Um, so I deal with health problems by eating peppers. God. 174 of them. Although, you know, this is obviously not uh, real medicine, but it also seems pretty harmless. Like eating eating green peppers isn't going to cure anything, but no. it's not going to make you worse. No. Uh, unfortunately, the very logic of like cures like led Hanman inevitably towards experiments with literal poisons. Martin Gumper, one of his biographers, wrote, 
Day after day, he tested medicines on himself and others. He collected histories of cases of poisoning. His purpose was to establish a physiological doctrine of medical remedies, free from all suppositions, based solely on experiments. Hahnemann sent his children into the fields to collect henbane, sumac, and deadly nightshade. They grew up like young priests of the Asclepion of Kos. They felt the leaves, blossoms, and tubers with small but expert hands. Everyone was obliged to join in the work, for there was no other way to succeed in his titanic plan of rescuing the wealth of natural remedies from the quagmire of textbooks and displaying it in the bright light of experience. The family huddled together, and every free moment of every one of them, from the oldest to the youngest, was made of for the testing of medicines and the gathering of the most precise information on their observed effects. So he sends his kids out in the field to grab poison and take it. So that's good. I mean, that's how you raise kids. kids. There are his kids. He owns them. That's his... He's a doctor. He's a doctor. It was an exciting time for Hahnemann and his family. (laughs) Unfortunately... Which ones are going to (laughs) die? It was not an exciting time for many of his patients. Uh, And I'm going to quote now from the ACSH's write-up on homeopathy. Having amassed voluminous pseudo-knowledge by pairing many specific vile substances and particular diseases whose symptoms most resembled the effects he attributed to those substances, Hahnemann set up shop as the original homeopath. He would begin his consultations by putting wearisomely numerous questions to the patient. The replies would contribute to his building a picture of the patient's condition, a picture based exclusively on these replies, the patient's appearance, and Hahnemann's supposedly God-given intuition. For example, if the patient had a gray pallor, was sweating profusely, and said that he or she suffered from abdominal cramps, Hahnemann would in effect look up gray pallor, sweating, and abdominal cramps in his tome, use cross-references to narrow down possible remedies, and thus decide that strychnine, a toxic alkaloid, was the ideal yeah. cure for the patient's condition. It'll make it stop. It'll make it It will It will stop a lot. Yes, it'll make it stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Strychnine causes sweating and horrific cramps itself, so it seemed like a logical treatment for a patient exhibiting those same symptoms. Unfortunately, giving literal poison to sick people is likelier to kill them than cure them. That's that was uh, okay. Good. That's what I thought, but I yeah. wasn't sure you were going to say that. But. Yeah, that's where this is heading. He, okay. he kills a lot of people. Before yeah, he saves because of people. the poisons. Because of the poisons. Turns out that's bad. Is you know, is his defense the? Uh, you have to let me fail. Mm-hmm. If I have succeeded in curing one patient, it's only because I failed on nine hundred and ninety nine. It's a numbers game. You kill 100% of the patients you don't treat. That is... That's what Wayne Gretzky that's said. Doc, Reverend Dr. Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> yeah. That's his famous... <laughs> ah! My headphones fell off. That can only mean... It's time for an ad plug, Billy Wayne. Okay. Plug now, it. Before, before, before we do the ad plug, you want to touch tips here? <laughs> I always want to touch tips. With our, with our, with our blades. Beep. Oh, Product! So good. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. 
the I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it, kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We're back. Sophie, you're making a strange face. What's up? I feel left out. I don't have a weapon. Here, here, here. You get that mind. You have this. Why, thank you, Billy. You're welcome. I'll pull out my knife. I get the machete. Thanks, Robert. Oh, nice. Okay. All right, cool. All right, let's let's touch tips and, and commit recommit ourselves to the study of bastardry before we get back to this yeah. topic. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Oh. That's going to be great content for the audio podcast we do. Metal on metal. Yeah, everybody loves the sound of metal on metal. Almost as much as they love the sound of Cody's time machine. <laughs> oh, that was so creepy. That was horrible. That was disgusting. Now... <clears throat> Uh, do, 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 do. I choose to believe that's a metaphor for something disgusting. It's a literal of something disgusting. Cody Johnston made the most horrifying what he thought was a sound effect for a time machine. Oh. It, it sound like, sounded like cockroaches performing oral sex. Yeah, yeah it, it was, wasn't great. It was like, wh- no. Ugh. Terrible. Okay. Speaking of terrible, uh, Samuel Hahnemann's practice of giving poison to sick people uh, worked out terribly uh, and and killed a huge number of them. Quote, for stomach pains, he regularly prescribed quarter-ounce doses of mercury. He instructed one poor soldier so much mercury, right? God! That's like like 20 thermometers worth of mercury. And that's going to hurt you. That is not going to help. Not coming back. He instructed one poor soul to take half an ounce of sulfuric acid in the morning and another half ounce later that day. I, don't, I do not think they made it to the second and dose. And if you get to the end of the day, mm-hmm. take a little more. Take a little more if you make it. You can just imagine that person making it through and then just being like, all right, you got to take another one. I don't, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> that second dose just falls right out it does. through the whole burn by the first. <laughs> yeah. He made it through. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. A purported healing system that Hanman asserted God had revealed to him was having devilish effects on his patients who were dropping like flies. I just picture writing. him with yeah. a big 
pad of paper and just going, <laughs> nope, not nope. that one. Acid's nope. not the solution. Not it. Nope. I'm, and I'm guessing it was like for heartburn or something. It's like, oh, your heart's burning, huh? Ah. <laughs> I think I know what'll deal you with this. You burn your heart back. <laughs> you want to burn your heart back into alignment. You got to drink lesson. some fucking acid. Drink it. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, so, you know. Why is it bubbling? Uh, that's the carbonation. <laughs> Some doctors might have, you know, realized from all of these dead people uh, that his, this theory of like curing like maybe was not as universally applicable as Hahnemann thought. Uh, but Samuel Hahnemann did not make that decision. Instead, he decided that his theory just needed a little bit of uh, alteration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you don't need, you don't want to you don't want to scrap a whole medical theory just because you burn a couple of people to death with acid. Well, yeah, he you just know? looked up in his his healing pile was a lot smaller than the dead body pile. Yeah, and, and that mean, like, that does mean you need to rejigger some things. Yeah, he's yeah. like, uh, math's wrong. The yeah. math's not right working mm-hmm. out here. Yeah. Now, to adjust his theory, Hahnemann turned back to his Masonic and occult roots. He added a new stage to the treatment. Instead of just dosing his patients with fatal poisons and watching them die horribly, he began diluting said poisons to a ridiculous extent. He'd start by adding 99 drops of alcohol to one drop of the actual substance, and then he would shake the mixture to potentialize it and activate its magical powers. Potentialize it. Potentialize it. it. They Ah. still do that. You gotta shake this shit. Obviously, if you don't shake it, it doesn't work. That's It's like one of those... It's like one of those uh, uh, five-hour energies. Yeah. You got to yeah. shake it. Mm-hmm. Got to shake it. He would then dilute it further, adding 99 drops of water to one drop of this 1C mixture, and that would create a 2C mixture, and so on down the line until essentially nothing was left of the original substance. Of course. No. This was yeah, a placebo. It's just a placebo, but to Hahnemann, he saw this instantly have a massive positive effect on his patients because it's way better to give someone water than strychnine. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. I didn't go to, I mean, I, allegedly, yeah. I don't know for a fact, but that's, I didn't go to law, the medical school. Yeah, but, I'm not a doctor, but I Googling think that will, has suggested that to me. Yeah, I think yeah. if you drink water, it'll make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Aren't you both reverend doctors? We not haven't yet. made that trick. We haven't, we haven't gone to Haiti yeah. to bleach people. This is the bleach part that, ugh. yeah. I understand. But I want that sweet, sweet... Uh, I do want that what title. If I, what I'm if a mi- you take... Uh, uh, just What if we make our own program? How do we become an accredited to give people fake medical degrees? Oh. This is America. You can do anything. We're just like, oh, I don't think it's probably as hard as we think it is. Yeah. We've got to find someone who owns a small college and then give us an honorary doctorate. You know who's... Let's talk to... Uh, Oh, what's his Liberty? They're in trouble right now. Liberty University. I we just did an episode on fall. I bet we could get that. Yeah. yeah. They need some help right now. They need some help right now. Let's get in bed with the Fallwells. Yeah. What could go wrong? No. Where we get in the pool with the Fallwells. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that stuff? Uh, About the trainer and stuff? Yeah. yeah oh, yeah. 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 The pool boy? Yeah. Oh. What, what is his name? Juan. Uh, Giancarlo. Giancarlo. John, it's so... Uh, I'm, I'm proudest of him. He did well. He did. He did very well. Every move he made, I was oh, like, yeah. a, good boy. This yeah. is a good story. Solid man. Uh, now, uh, so obviously uh, Hanman starts diluting his literal poison, and uh, he notices massive improvements in his surviving patients. Um, I'm not now, dehydrated anymore. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Nor are my insides liquefying. <laughs> it's great. Now, to Hahnemann, this proved he was on the right track. He added the aphorism, less is more, to like cures like. And together, these two facts laid the cornerstone of homeopathic medicine. 
Yep. Hahnemann's diaries of his less is more period included much alchemic and astrologic symbol. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm quoting here from uh, uh, that, that write-up. Uh, they all understand marketing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. To a, like a degree that most people. I wonder with Hahnemann, though. I, I wonder if he's ju- this is just kind of how science works when you know less. Gotcha. We're just you do simplifying. Have to think, like, everyone's dying from everyone's treatments because they're all bad. Like we, we laugh about him giving someone a quarter ounce of mercury because that's de- terrible. But also like normal doctors who weren't homeopaths were also giving people yeah, shitloads of we, mercury. And we know that you don't yeah. do that now because now, of them. Because of them. Yeah, there is that point. Yeah. So we, I, I, I think it's very possible that Hahnemann is just he's making some clearly some logical failures and yeah. being like, uh, now when I diluted it, they got better. That means diluting it makes the medicine stronger. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's not, no. That's, that, that's not quite it. No, the stuff is killing them yeah. and you're giving them less stuff. You just stopped poisoning them. And he's like, nah. Or, or what? <laughs> less is more. Yeah. Yeah. Or the saying. Yeah, so he he started, you know, spending his nights shaking and mixing and and cooking up all sorts of magical uh, cures for people. Um, And over time, uh, Hahnemann grew to dilute his medicines more and more. In 1799, while he was based in a small town called Konigsluter, an outbreak of scarlet fever hit the community. Hahnemann thought the symptoms of the disease, headaches and wide-open eyelids with a dull, staring look, were similar to the effects he'd observed on his friends and family when he'd dosed them with atropine to see what would happen. Following the theory of like curing like, he dosed patients with atropine. Thankfully, it was an extremely diluted 1,432,000th solution. Uh, so it, it, you know, it, it, was, it was basically water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to quote from the University of Washington here. The reason for diluting the drug was Hahnemann's awareness that drugs were often responsible for aggregating existing diseases or introducing new ones with contemporary dosages. Still believing he was observing drug effects, he gradually gave his pure drugs in greater dilutions. Hahnemann rationalized this action by speculating that in illness, the body was enormously more sensitive to drugs than in health. <sighs> He's making a lot of logical leaps here. It's interesting. I mean, yeah. And here's the question. Is he also dosing himself? Yes. So he's just getting madder and madder. Yeah, I I, you, I do suspect that's having an impact. Yeah. Because he gave himself a lot of poisons. Yeah, I'm sure that, that some and his kids. affect the mind. You don't hear much about his kids. Not even, well. <laughs> well, all that mercury. Yeah. <laughs> Now, he continued his tactic of diluting his medication until things reached their current point of homeopathic absurdity. A modern homeopathic treatment for the common cold would be a 6C solution of onion. Why onion? Because when you cut an onion, your nose gets all stuffed up like it does when you have a cold. Oh, man. Yeah. Now, if you're wondering how much actual onion is in a 6C dilution, well, I'm going to quote from the ACSH's write-up again. A 6C onion concentration would result if one filled Wembley Stadium to the roof with water and added one drop of an onion mother tincture. A 12C onion concentration in a homeopathic pill is equivalent to that which would result if one added a single drop of onion mother tincture to a body of water the size of the Atlantic Ocean. So he's just giving them water. He's just giving them water. It's or, like or, a LaCroix or water. It kind of depends on how you're doing the it's mixture. Like, yeah. It's like an onion version of LaCroix. Yeah, it's like more concentrated or more diluted LaCroix. Like yeah, we're LaCroix like, is, is that, a lot stronger than homeopathic is that, medicine. Did, is someone in the next room cutting onions? You're like, no, that's the medicine. I'm that's the scared. medicine. But mm. we did make it by having someone in the next room cut onions. <sighs> and we took this, the smell of it and sprinkled it on the water. You're actually getting into what is the problem, one of the modern problems with homeopathic medicine, but that's going to wait until part two. Uh, they don't always dilute it so much. 
<sighs> now, the ironic thing about all this is that Hanman's nonsense medicine actually saved a huge number of lives during this period of time. This is not because his cures worked, but it is because real doctors in this period were prescribing people poison. Most sicknesses suffered by most people get better on their own after enough time if you just don't give people deadly poisons. Rest. So Hanman's patients would start taking his nonsense water, they would heal of their body's own accord, and they would avoid going to a regular doctor who would have probably tried to drill a hole in their brain to let the ghosts out. In this way, completely by accident, Samuel Hahnemann did succeed in advancing the frontiers of medical science in a major way. I'm going to quote from the 1963 book, The March of Medicine. However we may judge Hahnemann's theory, one thing must be admitted. It led to a decisive change in medical thought. Clear-headed doctors realized that a minimum dose of an ineffectual substance, such as homeopaths used, was tantamount to giving no treatment. If the sick recovered all the same and this could not be disputed, it must be a matter of self-healing. Homeopathic treatment, in other words, no treatment, was often far better. So, yeah, basically, doctors start realizing, like, okay, this guy's giving people nothing. We know that. We know that, like, his, because like, we knew math. Like, yeah. we know Avogadro's number and shit at this point. We know this is just water, and his patients are doing better than ours. Maybe we suck. Yeah, Maybe we're bad at this and we need to really fundamentally change how we do medicine. Mm -mm. And Hahnemann was a big part of that realization. That's really nice. Yeah. But, and then it's also like, you think there was a period where like, maybe if we send our patients to the ghost we let out of their brain, mm -hmm. that would help. Yeah, that, they tried what that. we're doing. They sent a lot of patients to the ghost that they let out of their brain too. That just seems like probably a step they went through. Yeah, like it that. wasn't an even march of progress. <laughs> Yeah. This one dude's like, hold on. Mm -hmm. That dude was the doctor, and we let that ghost out of his brain. Let's see what the doctor ghost knows. <laughs> and he didn't give them poison, so the ghost doctor was a better doctor than the actual doctors. Yeah, the ghost doctor would absolutely be a better. I would rather go to a ghost doctor in this period than Hanman or a regular doctor. Like the more and more I come to these, the more and more I realize, like, oh, it makes sense. We've destroyed this planet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're not, sense. we're not a smart species. Yeah. It's crazy it took us this long. Yeah, no, we've really made a lot of progress for as dumb as we are. It's kind of inspiring when you think about it that it, way. We're doing all right, you guys. While real doctors took the apparent success of Hahnemann's methods as a reason to revise their tactics, Samuel himself continued to plow forward and develop his treatments into a wide-ranging belief system. Homeopathy was immediately popular with patients, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, from a report in the National Institutes of Health, quote, the differences between orthodox medicine and homeopathy could hardly be more vivid. From its beginning, homeopathy always began with a long consultation, lasting at least an hour, in which all aspects of the patient's illness and life were discussed. Homeopaths like to stress that they practice holistic medicine and the appropriate treatment chosen. In contrast, during the first half of the 19th century, when homeopathy was becoming established, orthodox medicine was immersed in the belief that advances in understanding disease could only come from a detailed correlation of symptoms and signs of the sick patient on the ward and the findings at autopsy, clinico pathological correlation. So these orthodox tactics did lead to eventually a greater understanding of health and illness, um, but it also meant in the immediate term that doctors were basically often, we're just going to wait till you die and cut you open. And, and then, then we'll see. And then we'll be better in the future, which patients aren't big fans of. No, no, that's not why you go. They like a doctor who treats you as a person and not as just like waiting to cut into your corpse. It'd be like you took your car into the mechanic and he's like, ah, I could, but I'm not going to. Yeah. But when it quits running, bring it to me. I'll when take your it. brakes fail on the highway, I'll cut your car open afterwards. And I'll take tell a look you it was there. the brakes. Yeah, I'll tell you which <laughs> why the brakes didn't work. I'll tell you exactly why they didn't work. Yeah. 
So Hahnemann showed no interest in detailed pathology, uh, none in conventional diagnosis and treatment. He was only interested in the principles of homeopathic medicine, which he used to name the illness. Classic homeopathy was therefore seen by its supporters as an attractively safe symptom, simple, easy to understand, and centered on the patient as a whole and not on pathological lesions. By 1801, Hahnemann had moved on yet again, back to a town near Leipzig. His notebooks reveal the kind of problems most of his patients came to him with. Insomnia, headaches, dizziness, constipation, lack of appetite, backaches, menopause, menstruation. In other words, all things that tended to resolve themselves. Yeah, life. Yeah, life. But Samuel Hahnemann watched his patients improve uh, after giving them water, and he grew convinced that he had solved the problem of sickness for all time. His fellow doctors were less than convinced, and they were particularly frustrated with the fact that high society, the aristocracy, and the very wealthy increasingly embraced homeopathy over orthodox medicine. By 1805, he was widely recognized as a physician of note. In 1810, he published The Organon of Rational Healing, which would be published in five editions during his lifetime. Leipzig University, his alma mater, hired him to give lectures. From 1812 to 1821, he taught six-month courses on the principles of homeopathy. Curious young minds from all over Europe flocked to Hahnemann's classroom to learn from the master. By this point, he'd grown utterly convinced of his own brilliance, to the point where he told one group of students, He who does not walk on exactly the same line with me, who diverges, if it be but the breath of a straw to the right or the left, is an apostate and a traitor. And with him, I have nothing to do. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. He, he doesn't get more uh, better in his old age. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 this is part, kind of where he gets to be a little bit more problematic. Well, everyone's um, telling him how great he is. Yeah. 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 And, you know, in fairness to him, compared to the poison doctors, he's it's solid. A good. It's Not a good giving people poison is a good move as a doctor. I wish I'd been a doctor, then it would have been so much easier. Yeah. Uh, Machetison could have really taken off. I think so. He just knows that era. He just cut off a digit. Mm-hmm. Just cut off a finger. That is. Oh, he's trying to give you acid? I'm just going to cut your finger off. Just give me, which finger do you hate? Yeah. You have a, we all have one we love. Everybody's got an evil finger. <laughs> which finger do you That's hate? That's the core of Machetison. God. All right. It's time for ads, Sophie. Sophie's saying it's time for ads. If you like cutting your finger off, try these products. Services. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. King's Island is now open on weekends. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We're back. You tried, though, Billy. Thank you. In 1821, at age 66, Samuel Hahnemann was granted unlimited privileges by a nearby duchess, allowing him to live in luxury while he took a partial retirement to further develop his theories. 66 in the 1800s is old He lives a long fucking life. That is, I mean, it's old now. Yeah. He lives forever, essentially. Yeah. Uh, He continued to be the center of the homeopathic field, directing the establishment of a homeopathic journal and watching as new homeopathic schools were established by his former students. While homeopathy spread over the continent, Samuel Hahnemann continued to work until, in 1828, he presented his greatest discovery since his first breakthrough. The father of homeopathy had finally found the root of all chronic illnesses. No. The itch. Scabies. Really? Yeah, he decided it was scabies. That's not, That's I can tell you from experience, that's not the root of all illnesses. <laughs> it's not the root of no, all illnesses, no. no. I've stayed in some shady hotels and yeah. stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, Hahnemann termed it psora and claimed that scabies basically acted as the soil from which all diseases sprung. Modern homeopaths are very much divided on whether or not this last great theory of Hahnemann's was a misstep or the key to a proper homeopathic treatment. Actual doctors recognize that scabies is actually caused by tiny microscopic mites and has nothing to do with, say, multiple sclerosis or yeah. any other chronic illness. But I'm sure that during that time, it was a huge problem. Scabies is everywhere. Everywhere. Everybody's got scabies who comes in with something else wrong. Yes. Must be the scabies causing it. It's like people that, that do hardcore drugs always also smoke pot. Yeah. It's the same fucking thing. It's exactly thing. that logic. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Now... Uh, in 1835, Hahnemann married a 35-year-old French socialite. She'd originally been one of his patients. 35-year-old? 35. That's, I mean, even He's then. He's in his, like, Even 80s. them yeah. old horny dudes existed. Yeah, like. old horny dudes. And he is apparently great at it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she'd originally been one of his patients, which I'm sure presented no ethical dilemma. None. Uh, his family, particularly his surviving children, were horrified when the now very elderly scientist left for France with his young new wife. Oddly enough, that year, 1835, was also the year homeopathy faced its first effective rebuttal using what we would recognize today as action. Science. Oh, I bet he didn't like that. I, you know, I don't even know what he thought about it because uh, it's not like there weren't like online journals and stuff. This well, happened far true. away from him. I don't and know. He, he, and he was busy. He else, was he was busy fucking he, his new wife. He's like, oh, you guys got a problem with it? I don't care. Anymore. I'll make That's, sure you ain't got no scabies. Seen this? She's French. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> homeopathy had taken off among the great and good in the kingdom of Bavaria. In Nuremberg, two homeopathic doctors did a brisk business treating the nobility with nonsense water. This irritated a fellow named Friedrich Wilhelm von Hoven, the city's chief public health official and the head of the hospitals. He wrote a critique of homeopathy under a pseudonym. According to the NIH, quote, Von Hoven accused homeopathy of lacking any scientific foundation. He suggested that homeopathic drugs were not real medicines at all and alleged homeopathic cures were either due to dietetic regimes and the healing powers of nature or showed the power of belief. He called for an objective, comparative assessment by impartial experts. If, as he expected, homeopathic treatment proved ineffective, the government would need to take drastic measures to protect the lives of deceived patients. Uh, a little bit of both in between. Yeah. It seems like everyone is very reactionary yes. to the I mean nothing's changed that's nothing's how humans changed. are but yeah they can't they have a hard time going in between yeah it's interesting it is interesting it's it's a, a common problem with people um, Johann Jacob Reuter, Nuremberg's homeopathic doctor, uh, defended his discipline by claiming that even children, lunatics, and animals had been cured by homeopathic solutions. Uh, he challenged Von Hoven to try <laughs> some homeopathic. Three comparisons. Like, the you three know, groups. children, lunatics, and animals. And animals. The three kinds of people. You know. <laughs> Uh, he challenged Von Hoven to try some homeopathic medicine, a 30C dilution of salt, and see if he didn't feel something. This test, or challenge, sparked dozens of physicians and pharmacists in Nuremberg to take him up on his offer. And He's like, now I want something sweet. Yeah, now, now I kind of <laughs> want some chocolate. Yeah. Uh, so suddenly all these physicians start doing tests on themselves with diluted salt water. And eventually they hit upon the idea of conducting a single large-scale test instead of all doing individual tests. Quote, following a widely publicized invitation to anyone who was interested, more than 120 citizens met in a local tavern. The minimum number needed to proceed had been fixed at 50. The design of the proposed trial was explained in detail. In front of everyone, 100 vials were numbered, thoroughly shuffled, and then split up into random into two lots of 50. One lot was filled with distilled snow water, the other with ordinary salt and a homeopathic C30 dilution of distilled snow water, prepared just as Reuter had demanded. A grain of salt was dissolved in 100 drops of distilled snow water, and the resulting solution was diluted 29 times at a ratio of one to 100 so this is like a, a, a double line experiment yeah you get your control you get your your, your test group um, and a list was made of which subjects had received which substances the subjects themselves were kept in the dark about what they'd received uh, so this is believed to be the first double blind study conducted in the history of medicine wow this is what it's done to try and see if homeopathy worked Ah, like Hanman, Hanman advanced the frontiers of medical science more than almost any other single person completely by accident. Yes. Yeah, completely by accident. It's well, kind of cool. But contrarian yeah. accident. By being like, nah, I think I don't think this is right. Yeah, I think I'm the only one who knows anything. And Well, that's what I was going to say, yeah. too. It's like a lot of, it seems like a lot, even to this day, arrogance. Yeah takes us way farther and helps us in some degree, but we hurt ourselves pretty hard till it, we get there. There's a lot of, you know, there's actually a lot of interesting writings on the evolution of overconfidence and like why overconfidence occurs in species and stuff. And like how, if you're, um, if you've got two species, two different animals com competing over a resource and one of them believes irrationally that it will win any fight. And so it always tries to grab the thing. Like, Sometimes it'll get in fights, and sometimes it will lose those fights. But more often than not, the less confident thing will just be like, ah, "I don't want to, I don't want to fuck with you." Give a shit about so it. The dog that goes for the treat first gets the treat most often. That's, you know, or yeah, you, that, whoever. Yeah. 
throws the first punch. And with human beings, it means sometimes we build arsenals of nuclear weapons capable of annihilating all life on Earth and hand them to doddering old men. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it also means sometimes we look up at the moon and go, yeah, I bet we could fling a guy into that. Let's just go up there. (laughs) Let's figure this shit out. Yeah, we can do it. Fuck it. I mean, if my car goes this fast, (laughs) let's just a bigger gas tank. Yeah. That's... That that happened in Huntsville, Alabama. That's it's where they that's where they build those rockets. Yeah. So keep making fun of the South. Yeah. We fucking landed on the goddamn moon. That's where all the NASA shit is. Mm-hmm. Cause nobody else is that fucking crazy. No. Well yeah. that's a lot of it too. Yeah. Is hey, there a lot of rednecks going like, Wait, I know how to do this. I yeah, can get us up there. That's really like the core history. That's why like all the great test pilots come from like Ohio or something, like flat, boring places where it's like, oh, yeah, I've been rolling around in a car trying to get myself killed for years. Might as well do it for science. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can fly? Yeah. All right. All right. Fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll be the first one. Yeah, I'll do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll that's, get on board this. That's, you're any Chuck Yeager. He's mm-hmm. still very, very... Very confident in yeah. old age. We're like, well, I, God, how cocky was he when he was little? How could you not be being Chuck Yeager, though? I think you accomplish a couple of things, and then you're just like, oh, I can do anything I want. And you're like, who's that, Chuck Yeager? Oh, yeah, yeah go ahead. Do you yeah. want a cigarette? <laughs> just let him. <laughs> yeah. You can smoke in the maternity ward. <laughs> so, obviously, uh, the double-blind, this first double-blind study showed that uh, it didn't, the homeopathic medicine didn't do anything. So. Yeah. The first blind study worked. Yeah, it worked. Uh, so, yeah, in 1835, a bunch of dudes at a bar succeeded in proving homeopathy was nonsense. But as I've said a number of times on this show, proof has never convinced anyone of anything. Nope. Yeah. Homeopathy is the oldest European example of what we now call CAM, or complementary and alternative medicine. That's a nice term used by professionals today to avoid hurting the feelings of people who truly believe crystals are going to heal their arthritis. The whole reason a field of fundamentally unscientific ideas is treated this way traces back to Samuel Hahnemann. Before his rise to prominence, medicine outside the mainstream, without data behind it, was just called quackery. I'm going to quote next from an article in the Royal Society of Medicine. Most of these pre-1850 quacks tended to specialize. Some were bone setters. Others claimed to cure venereal disease without the use of mercury. A Dr. Taylor of Beverly in Gloucester uh, arranged to attend regularly at three public houses to which patients only had to send in their urine, and he would tell at once whether they were curable or not. There were self-styled oculists who specialized in the treatment of cataract and cures of cancer without operation. One of the latter, calling himself the High German Dr. Simon, invited you to visit his house and see for yourself a cancer of the armpit of five pieces of twelve and one half ounces weight, which he claimed to have removed. Most of these regulars were uneducated or even illiterate, and only Mm. a minority were full-time healers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They usually had regular jobs, such as blacksmith, farrier, grocer, butcher, cheesemonger, cobbler, cutter, or mechanic. They often claimed patronage of the great and good. Dr. Scott's bilious and liver pills were used by the Dukes of Devonshire, Northumberland, and Wellington, Anglesey, and Hastings, and the Earls of Pembroke, Essex, and Oxford, while Dr. Lampert at 36 High Street, Borough, London, claimed to visit the well-to-do in the West Indies, the Isles of Scilly, London, Nottingham, Derby, Norwich, Lincoln, Boston, Gloucester, Wolverhampton, Litchfield, a bunch of fucking British names, and for mm-hmm. good measure, almost every other town in the kingdom. These irregulars had one thing in common. They had little, if any, interest in understanding of orthodox medicine in their time. I ain't got time for fancy book learning. I'm doing magic. And it's not always bad, like the doctors who are like, oh, we can cure your VD without using mercury. Like, they couldn't That's... cure people's STDs, but they weren't making it worse with mercury. Yeah. You yeah. know that? You know what sucks worse than VD? Mercury. If you drink mercury. Yeah. yeah. And where they, oh, God, put mercury down your pee hole. Don't do that. 
Just, mm-mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. So things changed in the early 19th century, largely as a result of Samuel's work. Homeopathy gave quacks an ideology and a school of medicine to stand alongside. While old-fashioned quacks would rarely visit the same town twice because they were fundamentally frauds, homeopaths would continue to practice in the same area for years, even decades. People at the time recognized this change. Quote, an Orthodox practitioner remarked, the old-fashioned quack with his farrago of receipts who seldom visited the same neighborhood but at very long intervals in order to avoid recognition, this class of practitioner is fast coming to a close. It was being replaced by literate and educated empirics who read books. This remark signaled the emergence of a new form of unorthodox medicine, which formed the basis of what is today called complementary alternative medicine. So this is where we get goop from. You know, it used oh, to be yeah. if you were like a fringe medical person, you wouldn't you wouldn't stick around in town. You'd sell your snake oil and get out. Yeah. Because of Hahnemann, these people established themselves as like, no, 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 we're going to like set up offices and try to do like we, we see ourselves as legitimate practitioners. And that is all really humans need is like yeah. a different a, subconsciously we're like it's like the marijuana doctors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's like the marijuana doctors. Samuel Hahnemann and his wife lived out their last years as popular socialites in France. The only hiccup in his golden years came when his wife was charged for practicing medicine without a license. But this does not seem to have led to a significant penalty. He died a millionaire in 1843 at the age of 89. So, good life for him. God. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a long ass way to live. Yeah. Because he drank all that water, staying hydrated. He man. was very hydrated. Extremely hydrated. Yes. The most hydrated man in the 1800s. Now, Hahnemann went to his grave believing that his decision to dose himself with china bark was a moment for human science on par with Newton being hit by an apple. And in some ways, that is true. His violent reaction to quinine has forever altered the progress of medical science. Over the years, several medical professionals have tried, unsuccessfully, to recreate his findings. One doctor who did so, representing the Board of Health, wrote... Chinchona, even in the preparation advocated by Hahnemann, did not cause fever in either healthy people or animals. So this is a little weird, right? No one has ever been able to recreate the effects of Hahnemann's first groundbreaking experiment. But during my research, I did come across one fascinating theory that might just explain this mystery and key us in on how homeopathy was really started. I found an article by Dr. William E. Thomas, a Melbourne-based physician and medical historian. He notes that quinine, the active ingredient in chinchona, is only toxic in higher doses than Hahnemann took. However, there are some people who are allergic to quinine, Uh. (laughs) and the symptoms are startlingly similar to what Hahnemann himself reported. It can be concluded, then, that Hahnemann might have suffered from an allergy to quinine, which means that the fundamental foundation of homeopathy, like the idea that like cures like, is based on the fact that Dr. Hahnemann had a rare allergic reaction to quinine when he took this bark. Which is just the most human yeah. element of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 very understandable. Yeah. Wow. Now, Billy Wayne... I'm this, excited of, of, of who he's let in to yeah, Pandora's box. Here. That is what I'm part excited. two is going to be. I'm excited about who comes in here. Because yeah. Samuel Hahnemann, an imperfect person you can criticize in some ways, not really a bastard. No. Not really a bastard. Uh, just a, just a, a, a dude who made some logical leaps that were not justified by the actual evidence, but that are understandable in the context of the time. And then really just kind of took some... Uh, Mm-hmm. confirmation bias after that. A lot of confirmation bias, young French wife, you know. That's distracting. Yep. Then it would be very distracting. In part two, we are going to talk about some of the actual bastards, uh, the horrible harvest and corpses that is Samuel Hanman's modern-day legacy. So uh, a lot of dead babies in part two. Of course there is. Yep. Of, yeah. Now, Billy Wayne, I feel like 
the right way to break up this game of tennis we're going to play. Yeah. I think we should go to five total points, and I think we should do the first two points at the end of this episode, and then we'll have the last three, assuming there's any pieces of this VHS tape left. Yeah, I think. All right. Yes. Thank you, Sophie. Sophie knows that when you grab a machete, you do it by the blade. That is. Mm-hmm. Just, I'm gonna put my just don't on. hurt Anderson, please. All right, please. Sophie, are you ready to ref? Yeah. Okay. I thought so it was ump. Um. Anderson. Right. I'm gonna serve first. Oh, okay. Fuck. Here, let me put this. Now I don't know how to play tennis. I don't think. It I matters. don't think this is how to play tennis. No, let's see. Hold All right. Let's see if I can. I do know one thing, which is that I'm supposed to say zero serving zero, right? That's how it starts. You can. All right. No, it's isn't it love? No, love is fifteen. No, love is zero, isn't it? No. 15, it's, it's, lo- it's, I don't, fuck. I'm going to throw the copy of Basic Instinct hit while it. I'm going to try to hit it at you. Okay. And. Ah! Oh, you hit it at I hit it backwards. <laughs> that didn't work out. out. Yeah, all right, amazing. all right, all right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <There's no way. laughs> Just get out of the way of it. I think. What, I what does that count as? <laughs> I think that was a point. <laughs> hit the back. All right. Oh. Oh. All right, it's, it's 1-1. One, one. Yours is kind of, I'm not, I think, yeah. All right, all right, yeah, we'll try this 15 all. Oh, yeah, look at that, that was a good one. That one's, it's holding up pretty well. You got to give it credit. All right, Billy. All right. It's 2-2, we're tied, we're tied. And the the VHS of Basic Instinct is holding up surprisingly well. Pretty. Pretty well. Let's take it out of its case, see how we're... Oh, no, it's been cut so much that it is oh, now. Oh, is it in there? It's now in there. Yeah, I think we actually wedged it into the, the paper. That's awesome. Nice job, guys. Nice job. Paul Verhoeven, great director. Hell yeah. Billy, you want to plug your pluggables? Yes, bwdtour.com slash tour is all my live dates. Um, I'm coming to Atlanta, Seattle, Portland, Eugene, Cincinnati, Huntington, West Virginia, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. See Billy Wayne live. Yes, come see us. A variety of bladed instruments, I'm sure. Um, and continue listening to this podcast and also find it on the internet at BehindTheBastards.com or at BastardsPod on Twitter and Instagram. There's also another podcast that exists. Buy t-shirts on Public. What's that podcast called, Robert? Oh, it's called The Worst Year Ever. And it's about politics. Yay. Wow, that sounds so dumb, 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 da dumb, 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 dumb. Anyway, tune in on Thursday to see who wins the game of what is definitely not tennis. Not tennis. Not at all. No. No Andersons were harmed in the making of this podcast. Yet. Yet. I'm just saying I can't guarantee. I can. How do we light this thing on fire? No, Robert, we're not lighting it on fire. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey there, parents and teachers. Are you tired of feeling like every day is a battle of wills with your kids? Let me tell you about something that changed the game. Love and Logic. Love and Logic isn't just another parenting or teaching strategy. It's a mindset shift that empowers you to raise responsible, respectful kids while keeping your sanity intact. With Love and Logic, you'll learn practical techniques to set limits with empathy, give your kids the tools they need to make smart choices, and build relationships based on mutual respect and understanding. Love and Logic stands behind their methods with a one-year money-back guarantee. Try it out risk-free. If it doesn't change your life, we'll buy it back. Plus, you can get 10% off with code IHEART10. So if you're ready to say goodbye to power struggles and hello to peaceful, loving relationships with your kids, it's time to give Love and Logic a try. Visit their website or call today. Your sanity will thank you. Love and Logic, because parenting and teaching should be a joy, not a chore. Visit loveandlogic.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.